0: You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You are with Marie, and this is Counterculture. And my next guest is Jodie Brunning, and it is a huge welcome back to her. She is our RCR's favourite. Australian. She has been with us so many times, both with me and with Paul. She's a sociologist. She's got a big business agribusiness as well. That was her first degree. And it's actually the agribusiness that we're back to talk about this time, Jodie. I reached out when the National Party released its policies a few weeks ago, and it's taken us a few weeks to get this conversation off the ground. And they were talking about uh, rolling back legislation from uh, around 2002, which was around the genetic modification and such in our food chain. And I thought to myself, really? And I thought, I need to talk about this. Who do I talk to? And it is you. So welcome, because you know
1: all about this. I thought, I
0: bet Jody knows
1: about this. And you do. Welcome back. Oh, well, good morning, Marie. Thank you for inviting me on. It's, it's great to be here. Look, you know, I can't. You can't know all of everything there is to know because there's a lot that you don't know because a lot is not reported and a lot is not disclosed. But we try to do our best. Um, we don't see the media reporting as you know as we were just discussing that we saw twenty years ago, which is what. It gave rise to the you know the Royal Commission on Genetic Modification and Corngate. There's there's no investigative journalist that the whole media will will go to and report on. And I know there's another you know another charity. He used to have three journalists line up when he was doing a release on um on something. And and today just there there won't be a single journalist there. So we have this dearth of information on this. So I think this is really important. So
0: yeah.
1: Thank you for looking at this. The National Party
0: have come out and they're looking at rolling back legislation that came in in the early 2000s. Now, if you don't remember this, this was what was colloquially known as the media as Corngate. It filled our airways and news cycles for weeks on end. It led to a Royal Commission. It led to the downfall of the Clark government. It led to Nikki Hager's best selling book, Seeds of Distrust. And all of a sudden, it's almost like, it never existed and it went into a memory hole. Firstly, what are they proposing to roll back, Jodie, and and why do you think that is? Why are they wanting to do that?
1: What, they, what they're saying is you know, they're declaring on their policy paper New Zealand's biotech rules are out of date and then they're harnessing biotech, you know, because they're being sciency, Marie. They like being sciency because it's important to be sciency. But we need to remember that pretty much every time something is Genetically engineered or genetically modified, a patent is produced, and then we get royalties. So there is a massive financial interest in big biotech. So we know that they there are lots of JVs, lots of joint ventures happening. So this has been a major arm of the the central government's you know emissions work. Um, they that the first thing they're doing is setting up a joint venture because they want to make money from it. And so we also have this problem then, and this was a problem we were able to talk about 20 years ago, which is the ethics of who owns a patent. So if you patent Manuka, who owns that patent? Which iwi owns it? Or does Ag Research own it? So we're not having those bioethics conversations. And, in fact, you know, for 20 years since the Royal Commission, the government has basically ignored and failed to abide by huge proportion of the recommendations. So this is the world that national's entering, we're being science and we're going to tell you that the rules are out of date. And most Kiwis looking at mainstream media, legacy media, will think, oh, yes, the biotech rules are out of date because, hey, the media is telling us and all those genetic engineer scientists that are, they're using new tools of genetic modification to alter you know, the genome of of plants and hopefully animals or and maybe, you know, what else what else do they want to do? We're speaking to the scientists that actually they're working for ag research or they're working for the the companies and the associations and the institutions that actually are interested in producing the patents and getting the royalties. So we need to think that this being science is actually it's corporatization. It's mm-hmm. and we could look at it for from Maori's perspective perspective we could say this is just colonisation they're Mm. looking to own life forms that's what happens when you get a patent you own the life form Mm. so who's driving this from a
0: New Zealand perspective is it being I mean are there corporate interests specifically in New Zealand that are putting pressure on the opposition to say we want this regulations to be updated in order to help our joint ventures or cooperative interests in New Zealand
1: Look, we know, for example, when the Royal Society engaged about in 2017, the main people they were speaking to were either genetic engineers or people that really didn't understand the ethics and the implications of genetic engineering. Then we've seen recently an article in um, Farmers Weekly, and you just see this sort of you know, middle manager talking about that. But what we sort of see is these these scientists keep failing. They absolutely fail to talk about the implications or the risks with genetic modification, and they fail to talk about what we actually know about gen- genetic modification. So let me quickly first, you know, Nationals Harnessing Biotech Plan is, so there's three, three arms of it. The first one is to enter end the effective ban on GE and GM gene editing and genetic modification in New Zealand. The second biotech plan is to create a dedicated red, regulator to ensure what they call safe and ethical use of biotechnology. And the third one is to streamline approvals for trials and use and the use of GE, GM biotech. So that's their plan. Now there's some there's some major issues with that, that their, their plan? Because firstly, they, they're putting the regulator inside the Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment. It's the fox in the hen house. MB are not regulators. They are the, the, the Ministry for Business and Innovation. They're also looking at... Well, that itself is unusual. I would have thought that that would sit with MPI. Well, it should really sit with the EPA if the EPA was actually working. True. <laughs> so, so and then when they when we talk about streamlining approvals for trials, that is telling you and me that they're saying they're the trials outdoors. So there's not a there's not a single problem with indoor trials in New Zealand. So that's not a problem. So if you're if you're doing working with GE GM in terms of pharmaceutical development, diabetes drugs, what you, whatever you have, there is no there are no restrictions for indoors. And, and so what we have, it's a little bit disingenuous because people will think, oh, you know, New Zealand's kind of a monster and they're terrible. But what I want you to, to look at, you know, is the fact that our, or consider is that, you know, you've got existing legislation and then you've got that augmented with the local government involvement where local governments have made the precautionary decision to keep GMGE out of the environment. And so what happens throughout the regulatory process is that the gene editing processes trigger regulation. So regulation of technology concerning airlines and chemicals and cars is like normal. You know, we we take that for granted. So why is a biotechnology that patents a life form any different? Because we have the scalability issue. We have the issue that they're increasing the speed at which they can do crispr do the do the cutting of the gene you know genes There's they're increasing the speed and the pace and i've interviewed jack heineman on that that's on our psgr.org.nz um, website on the under the interviews with scientists really great it's up on youtube jack heineman interview and we're talking about scalability now this is something that those regulators globally are not considering and so you've got to think about the distance the area the volume over time what happens and you've got to think about then when human activity intersects what happens so will there be drought will there be will there be nutrients will there be how will those edited organisms those plants or or animals react so we've got so much uncertainty and this happens at scale because because what they do is they roll out really quickly and so if you think about just corn and soy in in america <clears throat> the species the varieties are, have radically diminished in in choice and selection they've lost that choice that the, the variety of genes for dealing with like drought dealing with salt tolerance they're, they're narrowing the the plant species varieties that they can pull from so so i mean scale is one of those really big things that we've got to deal with so what you're essentially talking about is
0: natural evolution versus forced scientific evolution I know a little bit about the wine industry so in the wine industry they do lots of work by grafting so traditional forms of plant development so where you graft and you breed but you do it within the natural life cycle of of the plant so you create hardier varieties through using existing varieties and I mean sheep farmers and cattle farmers have been doing this through selective breeding for years what you're now talking about is actually breaking it down to a molecular level scientists getting involved creating new versions of a plant which has never been seen in the natural environment yeah before and a huge butterfly effect what happens if you introduce a new grass or a corn into an area and it and especially if it's outside, surely there, there can be cross-propagation and,
1: yeah, and things like so that. Horizontal stuff. gene transfer, yep, yep, all of that. Yeah, so, so so what I want to say clearly to the public is that our regulation aligns with a recent European court decision. It's been held that newer gene editing techniques require regulation just like the older techniques, because we want to understand. So what happens is that technology moves so quickly, you don't know what the name is. You don't know what's happening. So if we don't don't just overarchingly say you've got to log your trial, you've got to tell us what you're doing, that means that we've got no idea what happens when something does go wrong. So we don't know what techniques lie around the corner.
0: When this was announced... I was expecting the Labour Party to be about yeah. this, the Greens to go yeah. apoplectic. I thought that right, this is going to be announced. They're going to create this huge fuss over what evil people the National Party were against the environment. And it was crickets almost. Yes. Why?
1: So you know what path dependency is.
0: Go on, walk us through it. Jo. So
1: so path dependency is when you have Funding for expertise and you learn expertise, your expertise increases th- through the decades because you're getting funding to do that kind of scientific work. So, right now, the scientists in New Zealand that have been doing biotech know a lot about it and they are going to talk about it and they're going to get the media because they're few, there's an increasing amount of them. The government's been, most people don't know that there's been a funding for biotech relating to um, greenhouse gases in New Zealand for 20 years. We've got, an, you know, it's, it's a, a group of different institutions that come together and they, they're working on greenhouse gases. We don't have, for example, a group of scientists in New Zealand that are funded for 20 years to look at nutrition and mental health or to look at chemicals in water and what mixtures of chemicals do to vertebrates to New Zealand's indigenous species that sort of funding doesn't last for 20 years you might get you know three years or one year but so so what we have is we have all these scientists that are that are very skilled they're getting increasingly skilled in doing this work and they just want more funding for their work and because when they speak up they don't they don't contradict the, the narratives of powerful institutions. So, the New Zealand government has been very clear that it's supporting this scientific research because it goes back to a late 90s, 2000s, right across the world, but of course, in the Crown, in the Commonwealth states. And innovation became the new buzzword. And innovation is about developing a product, a process, a service. It's about patenting, it's about getting royalties. That's why biotechnology perfectly harmonises with innovation rhetoric. So this fits in. Do, do you see how biotech is such a part of the system? So you, And you look at the big power. Uh, absolutely. Globally. Yeah, no,
0: and a good example of that, okay, would be I spoke to Kerry Warsnop several weeks ago, and she is a, um, she's a Nuffield scholar. Yeah. We talked about the farting cows. And of course, biotechnology has been harnessed to grow feed to reduce reduce methane emissions when the cows fart. And of course, the whole thing is just a rot because the methane of the farting cows shouldn't actually even be included in the group yeah. in New Zealand anyway. Yeah. So- but there's a whole industry sprung up about creating, you know, fart-free grass. Yeah, so
1: this is so this is just one strand. And it's really important that we understand that. So for 20 years, Ag, I think Ag Research has had about $65 million to sort of high metabolizable energy. So it's high lipid pasture grass. So this is mainly focused on ryegrass and clover. Of course, that that duopoly mixture that we've had. And, and we haven't done any research on, you know, long-term research on broader mixtures. It's been this du- duopoly because we we kind of like just only think about two things, you know, labour and national, clover and ryegrass, but that's hasn't served New Zealand at all. And so what we're now understanding, of course, is that ryegrass isn't really doing well. It's not coming out with the you know the the benefits that was envisaged. So after this sixty five million dollars, and you know how oh, nationals really you know they they do their their financial accounting and they're they're the responsible party. So if they're saying we're going to deregulate, where is their their analysis of the sixty five million dollar invest, investment on HME rate, ryegrass? Where is it? Where's ryegrass? Where's, I'm sorry, Ag researchers' Mm. financial cost-benefit accounting from their last 25 years of research into this? So what do farmers
0: think of all of this? I mean, have they been consulted around any of this or have they just been bombarded with, a whole bunch of ESG type, you must do this, you must do that, this is what we need to do in order to reach a target. You are the great evil and you
1: must comply to all of these regulations or we'll send the regulator. So that's another issue, right? So that farmers have not been asked. So what part of National's platform is we're cutting red tape for farmers? Farmers are small businesses and they're price takers. And so with the low payouts, for example, in dairy for many years, you know, and you know the up and downs that the um, hort industry have, they are very, very vulnerable. This what we call small businesses and our government's not very good at supporting small businesses over the long term, I don't believe so national can talk about cutting red tape which is fine because i believe central government is quite happy to cut red tape and get a, rid of it, a lot of the work that central government has to do to monitor all this and when you look at for example a lot of what farmers are being requested to fill out to have sort of intelligent monitoring it's not worthy like it's not worth it you know um there are there are distinct issues that we need to address you know deaths on farms rolling farm vehicles you know that sort of stuff and harm and that's really important but no oh, mental health on with farming well yeah and that that is a whole a, another conversation oh, I, because we're not talking about nutrition and we're not talking about pesticides exposure mm. that's what they're leaving out of the mental health and on farms debate Well, there's another conversation for us, Jodie. It's just just incredible. There's so much we can talk about. So National's policy to cut red tape for farms and to to invest in biotech totally harmonises with central government. So they want this dedicated regulator, the MB, which is pathetic. They want to end the effective ban on GE and gm And remember, the government has failed to Mm -hmm. monitor any GE or GM in the environment and the Ruakura trials. We had seeding plants that being properly protected from um, the potential transfer into the environment. We had the harm on the animals. That's all available on the gefree.org.nz website. And now they want to streamline approvals for trials, which tells us that they want to not have to declare all what they're doing. We have a massive problem in the New Zealand EPA with a, with the commercial and confidence agreements that at every corner prioritises and privileges corporations, and it and really all it does is it prevents public knowledge on, on what's happening. So we've got national doing all this stuff, but they haven't asked farmers. Everyone knows there's too much red tape for farmers. This is really, really clear. But what we also see, for example, if you talk about nitrogen emissions, this is a big thing. Where have you ever, ever seen across Dairy and across central government, across ag research, across any of the other institutions, you know, even even coming out of the Fonterra and those guys, the latest knowledge on changing nutrient pasture mixes to maximise productivity? It's not there. Like, so when I talk to my, you know, farmer contact down in the West Coast, right, he's just He's bored, Balance and Ravensdown, the guy comes to them and he's just telling them the same shit that they've been told for 20 years and he's bored with them. He doesn't want to, he knows they're failing him and farmers feel the same up here because the government's not funding complex scientific research. So this is open-ended research that goes, okay, this is your region, this is your soil type. how's this mix of pasture species going to work, the slope and incline of your paddock, Okay, what's your magnesium, what's your calcium, what's your pH? So there's none of that work going on in New Zealand. Everything we're being advised from like Raven Sound and, and Balance is, is not even keeping up. So, so, but what we know is there's a bunch of farmers and they're moving across to what's called the Albrecht method. So they're looking at pH differently. I do believe that the UK is, is ahead of us. I think New Zealand is falling behind. So when it does undertake open-ended research, it's like short, but you can only do it for now and now you have to stop. So remember everybody like who's listening, 56 billion in exports, right? 56 billion in exports from agriculture. The farmers are told they're bad because nitrogen is going off their farm. So when did the government pay for open-ended science to support knowledge to increase productivity while they get rid of synthetic nitrogen? Well, they use dolomite, for example, with its magnesium to take up, to change the pH, to, to improve the soil and to get a lush pasture. My brother-in-law couldn't do it for years because low payouts, the minute the low payouts have stopped, he's gone and changed. He's gone to this new method and he can't believe it. He doesn't have down cows. Why isn't the government doing this? And why isn't the government supporting farmers to get this sort of soil testing I think part
0: of the problem is Jodie's, they're not very good at doing more than one thing at one time. And I mean, what well, you're talking about is that, as you said, to improve the quality of the environment, the pasture and the soil, whilst also increasing productivity. I mean, this current lot only seem to be concentrating on one area, productivity. They're not, I don't think they have any interest whatsoever in productivity. Everything they have announced in the last yeah. five years yeah. goes towards reducing and destroying productivity for farmers. Yeah. And as you prefaced earlier on, you can science farming up to the wazoo, but ultimately they the number one thing that will impact and control farming is the weather.
1: You can agree that thing that makes resilience is science. Exa- so, exactly, But they will only concentrate
0: on the things for it, like the nitrogen. A great example, you know, that yeah. they'll, they'll focus solely on that. And but They're not it. looking at the bigger picture. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, so this is so this is what's happening. Farmers know they're being far left front and centre. They know that the DIR, the old research um, institute, was defunded, disbanded, they know that science is all under the Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment, which has no priority for protecting the environment. It's just shown this. And, and the Ministry for the Environment is completely gutless when it comes to actually saying we actually need information to support farmers and then that they will reduce their chemical use. It's pretty simple it's really simple so so the only funding package that has been able to do this sort of stuff for years has been the SFF future fund the sustainable food and fibres fund that was 240 million odd peaked at $72.78 million. That's the most so that they've ever had one year for this sort of complex research. And, of course, that's right across. So that's hoar, that's sheep and beef, that's pasture, that's growing seeds because we export a lot of grass seed, a lot of seeds for um, carrot seeds, grass seeds. $72.78 million was the highest amount ever in one year for this complex science, right? They're exporting $56 billion. But now, look, nationals being Sciencey because they're talking about deregulating biotech, well, wouldn't you like to know that the latest economic plan by the government, the Climate Puts in Climate Emergency Response Fund, a SURF, the initiative, of course, um, Marie, will directly reduce emissions, right? Out of that, which is like $2.9 billion, there is $495 million. 495 million in in the budget for agricultural emissions reduction. And when you look at the government's climate change staff, it's all about nitrogen and it's all about methane. Okay, so just, just go back and compare
0: those numbers again. So 495 million for reduction in emissions.
1: Yep, and I got that off Treasury, the Treasury page. And yeah, from Treasury. What was that number that you had before? And so 495 million is basically over four years, right? Yeah. And then the Sustainable Food and Fibres Future Fund, the SFF Future Fund, was like 200, lucky to get to 240 million, maybe 226 million, over a five-year period. That's 2019 to 2024. It's about to stop. And the most they ever got was 72.78 million. So now they're putting in this marvellous, beautiful agricultural emissions reduction, and it's for technology. So, Marie, the minute they put the word technology in there, they're not looking at complex soil systems. So, for example, they're not looking at, I don't think there's very much luck that, for, that if scientists in New Zealand um, were putting in a funding budget under that to look at pasture management, carbon sequestration, nutrient uptake to increase stock health for resilience in drought. I don't think that would come under there because there's no technology because remember we were talking about patents and IPs and royalties. Mm. So Mm. under that surf, the first thing they did was set up a big JV. They want to manage all the royalties and patents.
0: It all comes back down
1: to money and power. Yeah. Yeah. You can just see it. And I can't even, in that 495 minute, and I did I might have yesterday just done a FYI um, OIA request to MB. How is that four nine five million being broken down? Who's getting did it? Do you feel an OIA coming on, Jodie? I, no, I did a big fat one yesterday. <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's, it's, it's on FYI, and then I did another one to Damien O'Connor because honestly, I like Damien. I feel like he's forgetting about farmers right now, and Damien's been really staunch. He understands that international food markets do not want gm contaminating our food supply and we also know that the productivity commissioner right the productivity commissioner came out and say oh we need to deregulate biotech if you look through that consultation so this is so much to talk about here marie i apologize if you go back look at the productivity commissioner consultation all the i don't know 80 120 people that submitted to it two people submitted that that biotech rules were out of day and yeah. they were the people with one person pharmaceutical and another person that was a, that was related to genetic engineering.
0: And if you look at all of um, I mean, because I'm a farmer's daughter okay yeah. so I know farming I grew up around farming I still have people involved in farming so you you know farming both yeah. both here and across the ditch. Yeah. When on earth has more government and more regulation ever improved farming.
1: Yeah so we're now we're talking about regulation why not talk about biotech?
0: Well, even, but, well but see, even the thing is, is I think the two of them are intertwined. I think that governments are using biotechnology selectively in order to corral farmers to a direction that they want to go. So as you were saying... There is some really incredible science that should be done in terms of soil. There's work is there. It's like everything with climate. You know, you hear people say that if they want to get any funding or research, it has to have climate in there as one of the elements in order to and see a of money. And innovation, right. exactly. And I think what you've just described is the farming version of this, that you have to appear to be going down one pathway to even see an, a single dollar yeah. of research yeah. money and grant. And generally... They will only approve if there's some sort of, you know, what's in it for me at the end in the form of a patent or a joint
1: venture. And I know really amazing projects that have been proposed under the Sustainable Futures Fund that have been rejected because they didn't go down the applied science bit enough. Several. So where to from here?
0: For example, if we maintain the status quo with our current group and the latest poll results that came out said that they will only be able to do that if they aligned with te Pata Māori, what would that look like? Or if there was a change and they flipped across the fence and National did get across the line with ACT along with them, what does that mean? If you're sitting on a farm at home, if one of our listeners is listening to this, they're sitting on their farm at home, they're sort of vaguely aware of this, but not necessarily completely aware, what are the two pros and cons on either side as you see them?
1: I think it's just you know red and blue mixed together is purple, pretty much. So there's not a lot of difference. Doesn't really matter. No. Mm. no, isn't that frightening? Let's also look at what else MB have done in the last year that make me even more concerned. Right? Because so that- MB is the purple, really, isn't it?
0: It doesn't really MB- matter who's in charge. Central well, government. It's central, government. The lead. it's central yeah. government
1: leading. Okay. There, yeah. there is no nothing in what they're doing contradicts anything that central any of central government's aims. So, what are some
0: of those other things that they're into? Because they're obviously, from what you're saying, doesn't matter who gets in,
1: they yeah. will continue on. Yeah. So regardless. the science. I'm, so I'm trying to stay on the science system here. Yeah. So, so MB did a massive, big consultation. Apparently, 800 people, and including PSGR, we we submitted a great one. We said we said we should have stewardship or kaitiakitanga at the very top, so that we can actually choose our science projects based on what New Zealand needs to steward New Zealand into the future and this includes economic responsibility but it also includes making sure our our soils and our farmers are actually are robust and our farmers actually can be there. We do not want corporate farm mentalities in New Zealand, so we do not want the erosion of, of small business and small farming families because that is is that that is a healthier environment is when you have small and medium and a very few large corporate farms. That's what makes a greater competitive environment for agriculture. Following MB's consultation last year with 800 people coming in, they've grandly announced there's going to be a Wellington Science City but when they in in all the announcements I can see, they don't mention agricultural ones. So the Wellington Science City is their announcement. And it sort of involves an innovation hub and it involves a nutrition hub and it involves a climate change hub. And of course, it's it's near Wellington. So where do you think the lobbyists all go? What MB are not talking about is the problem of when you have a heap of JVs, when you have a, he- a heap of partnerships in In a university, in a Crown Research Institute, you are going to get the pivoting of those institutions to serving and working with those institutions, those those private institutions, so they get more funding. And this is part of the path dependency. And we're not very good at funding institutions that are independent that are sort of outside that are away from that and and it, it doesn't work you get us you get us an, an elite because when we, we can talk about science scientist elites that's really common in the scientific literature so the people that are there that have that they've got the mana they walk into the room everyone says whatever you think i'll agree with that you know so you get the elites that that see some small researcher you know drawing attention to you know the amount of fluoride being emitted from water services because it's now added and who knows what's happening to all the vertebrates from all the fluoride being emitted in wastewater and he's like no 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 i don't want that because i'm working with the person that's you know the corporation that's doing pharmaceuticals and fluoride safe and you can't have do that research and you get all these contradictions that inevitably lead to the less resourced getting out it's the more resource that stays there because science is expensive so right now the idea of wellington science city that is just near wellington where all the lobbyists are Sure, the Innovation Hub will be full of JVs with corporations. Fine, go knock yourself out. But the health and the nutrition, like the health section, shouldn't just be about pharmaceutical agreements and and JVs with the private sector. Because otherwise we're never going to find out about the chronic disease burden in New Zealand. We're never going to find out about the malnutrition and how malnutrition connects to mental health. So we need to actually be able to completely institutionally separate. This is a big thing I'm saying, by the way, completely separate out the conflicts of financial conflicts of interest so that scientists can be scientists in particular institutions that will serve environmental and human health. That's why environmental and human health has been drip fed. Simon Upton, the the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, is well aware of what a cluster beep the whole situation is. So, you know, it would be really interesting to try to get him on. I don't know if he would because he's not a political actor, but if you just talked about the science system, maybe he would talk about the challenges we have. I don't know. Simon,
0: if you're listening, inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email, my friend. I'll talk to you, my darling. (laughs) But you're also, because that's the thing, we need to, there is so much going on behind the background, that Wellington bubble is becoming quite rigid, and you enter, you pierce the veil, you enter inside it. I had just had a weekend in there, and um, a weekend or two back, and it is a completely different world compared to... As I mentioned to last week on the show, I said I, I really do feel like there are those who are living in Aotearoa and those who are living in New Zealand and neither party are seeing what's going on in the yeah. New Zealand that they're living yeah. in. And yeah. that's actually quite, kind of dangerous because there's good things happening yeah. in both in both nations, yeah. but there's all this politics in the middle that's preventing people from seeing anything. And,
1: and, I mean, the MPI, MB, how many of those people have even been on a farm? How many of those people have even... That, that even understand the challenges that your average farmer have. And so they're they're so academic. And but it's the same problem in health. They're, they're only going to develop policy. And and this is the same path dependency that's based on hospital numbers and it's based on um vaccine take up. They're not doing any there's no levels based on the reduction of chronic disease, reduction of diabetes, or you know, that they're not You know, so that it's very technical, it's becoming more and more technical. So, that's a really big challenge we face. And that's because the science that's open ended, that's broad and basic, has been defunded for approximately 30 years. One of the most important things people need to understand is when they did that $65 million in the pasture grass research, we just keep going back to biotech, they've never done. And a cost benefit analysis to say that money that funding was good. Then, if you look at greenhouse gas emissions research globally, you are not seeing any cost benefit analysis to say how much money has been invested in that and how much money is coming out. And importantly, who is the financial beneficiary? Almost the last point because I know we'll need to close up soon. When so the you know, the concept of innovation so you know, innovation is an important thing, is very connected to GDP. So patents are a proxy for GDP. So then you get governments saying, like the New Zealand, the New Zealand government is, we need to spend 2 to 3% of GDP on science. When we look at that 2 to 3% of GDP, the question is, how much of that investment and then, and what the government's also doing, and I, I do, I, I respect this, is they're saying for every invest one dollar we invest, we want a corporation to, to invest one dollar. But the minute you get that, of course, you get the conflicts of interest because you get us turning towards what industry wants, not farmers, right? So notice there's a difference. The industry's a middleman. So, yes, great. So then PG Wrightson gets to develop a new plantain ryegrass that, that might be result in less urine going into groundwater that's noble and that's a great project but there's a huge amount of projects that simply won't be funded because the stakeholders are farmers and they're not going to put a dollar in or the stakeholders are you and me and we're not going to put a dollar in so they need to really scythe off they need to push away the the science that is going to be duly funded by institutions with financial interests in getting patents and royalties. And so this includes ag research at the moment. Noting that in ag research there is also really good work, um, for example, on deferred grazing. I want to say that there's really good work coming out of ag research as well, but we need to understand how hard it is to get, and def, the deferred grazing work isn't even talking about, isn't really talking about nutrition and isn't looking at long-term benefits because there's no funding for them for that. But there's millions of dollars. There's there's this, wow, the surf, remember, I'll, I'll say this as last thing for people, Treasury also, this is another thing, Treasury joined with the Ministry for the Environment to do the climate, economic and fiscal assessment. The IMF and the World Bank are leading climate change investment by government and climate change policy. So now Treasury is involved in producing a fiscal assessment, which is quite a political thing because they're talking about science, and when you talk about science, it is actually political. There's a lot to throw at people, but we've got the Climate Emergency Response Fund, we've got $495 million over four years for agricultural emissions reduction, which to me means predominantly looking at methane, and we've got all this other fun, other research required for agriculture that's been completely ignored. I don't think Nationals going to, they're not supporting farmers. You know, the red tape stuff is really obvious, but if they were going to really support farmers, they would talk about a massive amount of science and research that is needed to look at regional requirements by industry in looking at weeds, for example, because we've got a lot of problems with resistance to glyphosate. So what about robotics technologies? I mean, there's so much stuff we could be looking at, but they're simply not.
0: And I also feel that there is a lot of local knowledge that has been discounted in the yep. name of centralised science. Do you get yep. that
1: impression? exactly so dr charles murfield down in lincoln he talks about this a lot when you're producing science in agriculture you actually have to do it with the farmers because you're you're looking at you want to do like a 3 to 5 year you know or even a 10-year spread how is fertility and productivity impacted by these mixes what happens when we have a flood this year and we have a drought next year because we have the seasonal cycles and so you can't so this is one of the cunning things that a lot of the like the pesticides manufacturers do they show you a six-month trial and they they come back with the result you know that all the insecticides on the seeds this is a short six to one year trial they don't look at what happens over the seasons and does this impact the insect life the Microbiome and soil, they don't do that work. And the fungal, the microzoal fungal, I know that was incorrectly said platform. You know, Dr. Gwen Grelet is amazing on that sort of information in in land care. Those long term questions, we must work with farmers regionally on local farms. And this is why science with farmers is really different. And Mirth can talk about that a lot. And so this is part of the problem. They just want to do their in vitro, in laboratory. Research, but once you get out, so I think I'm really grateful that ryegrass. The ryegrass um, has failed overseas with this lipid metabolizable energy, and also the the concepts of a what happens if things go wrong when they come here. Why can't we just do trials of long term trials to understand farm systems here? We can't talk about that. We can only talk about oh, it's terrible. We we won't let biotech. Mm. Biotech research happen here. Well, we're not buddy letting complex systems research happening here because they won't fund it.
0: And these are the conversations that are not being had elsewhere. Now we have done all this time essentially on just that one element. And that is what people are not hearing. It's not what they're getting. There is this bigger picture. We've got plenty to more to discuss as the future rolls. And I think you're right, I think we need to be able to have these conversations these announcements it's the announcements that drive me crazy the announcements go out with very little backing and so the general public are just expected to take that information on face value and i think if there's one thing that we've learned in the last five and a half years take nothing on face value yeah so jody Mm -hmm. i want to thank you so much please just um give our listeners again, I've been talking to Jody Browning. those websites that you mentioned before. Jody's going to give me, I'm going to get her to email me a resource list, which I'm going to give to the lovely Liz at, at inbox at realitycheck.radio if you want to get those
1: resources. But uh, you mentioned again, P, it's psgr.org.nz. Yeah, Physicians and Scientists for Global Responsibility. I'm a, a trustee. Of course, speaking today, I'm speaking in my own capacity. I've also got a substack, JR Brunning b r u n i n g dot substack you know people can look up the NZAGRC the, for where the greenhouse gas emissions research has been going on for a long time, they can look up the Climate Emergency Respond Fund and the New Zealand's 2023 economic plan to understand that, that commitment of $2.9 billion. We can all use um, FYI, make official information Act requests because we, we really need to know that we need to support farmers 56 billion in ex- exports this year in agriculture and and for the last 20 years this the, the important research has been basically do funded
0: now mm, poor farmers honestly look Jodie, this has been a treasure. I will be getting Jodie back because, as I said, we've got so much to talk about. Thank you so much for highlighting this for us. Uh, You are with Reality Check Radio. I'm Marie. This is Counterculture. There is still more to come, including the Wog Word of the Week. And up next is my partner in crime, Marty Gibson, and we are doing our Media Matters. In person, we'll be doing it from the Papadopoulos of Papamoa together because I am on the road, so I can't wait for that. So take care and don't disappear. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Radio.